that's how I got hired into finance. Like literally that one phone call changed my life. I wouldn't have, it's almost like being in the club, you know, once you're in, you're in. Um, and so I worked with them for two summers. I remained close to them again, some 30 years later. And then I graduated from law school at Western. I did very well and took all the senior level finance courses and then interviewed with the MBAs and was one of, this is back in 94, very hard year, was one of the five students out of the MBA and the only student out of the law school that got a job in investment banking in New York. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Well, leaders, we have a unbelievably fantastic podcast for you today. Joe McLean um, is one of our most successful um, alumni, uh, graduated from the University of Western Ontario, did our program in the late 80s, and did our program amongst just an incredibly successful group of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, hedge fund managers and investment bankers who have gone on to unbelievable careers. Uh, Joe himself uh, was a VP of Goldman Sachs pre-IPO, uh, ran his own hedge fund, uh, involved in a numerous um, uh, trading activities uh, with, with all sorts of um, very, very successful form, firms in New York, um, and is right now uh, uh, involved in a business, uh, publicly traded business in the uh, healthcare space, has just incredible things to share about leadership, about um, willingness to make mistakes and being okay with it, and being coachable. And I just know you're going to love this podcast and uh, um, and take a whole lot away from it. He's made some great recommendations for books, Ray Dalio principles and uh, make your bet. And uh, again, something something to go sort of maybe pick up at uh, at Amazon or, or throw in your audible. So uh, thanks again for tuning in and uh, uh, really appreciate uh, listening. And uh, uh, I know you're going to love this podcast. So super excited to have Joe. Joe, thank you very much for making time around your crazy busy schedule. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's just awesome. We were reflecting um, just how how uh, it's it's been a, a whole number of years since we were able to connect. Um, and I just uh, I love social media for that reason. Uh, now I've got you on my Facebook feed, and I see what you're doing and what your kids are doing, and yeah. um, you know, so uh, that's awesome. So so. Joe, you know, think back before our program, you know, in high school, you know, pre-student student works painting, student works. Tell me what you were like before our program. I was a complete mess before I met you, Chris. <laughs> I, you know, I think that, so the way I, I um, grew up in Toronto, we had a cottage in Muskoka. My next door neighbor was someone who was part of the leadership of student painting at the time. And he told me about it. And I got very, very excited and very interested because I always saw myself as an entrepreneur. I'd always wanted to run my own business. I was probably, you know, if I look back at my younger self, I think of myself as an underachiever um, at the time. It wasn't a no-brainer that I, I got hired, actually. And... Um, you know, it, it really, for me, represented the first significant opportunity to um, achieve something on my own. Um, and so it really was, I think, a turning point uh, and a watershed moment in, in my life in terms of you know, being an 18-year-old kid um, and, and having the opportunity to truly run, you know, my own business. And yeah. we'll talk more about it. But I remember moments, I remember to this day having 12 or 13 other students working for me and not having any work the next day and feeling a significant sense of responsibility 
you know, for these people's summers because they were, I was responsible and they were dependent on me and, you know, coming up and reaching deep within myself, which I've never had to do to come up with, you know, tactics to essentially get business where just relying on, I'm going to say at that moment, you're relying on yourself. Um, what yeah. you guys offer is a, is a ton of support um, was, was just transformational for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and so um, what, if you think that, what was your biggest frustration as a, as a teenager before you got started in the business? Look, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto, you know, um, I, I think that I have, you know, an intellectual curiosity. Um, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in people who are achievers. You know, I saw myself as an underachiever and maybe was looking you know, to transform myself. Um, so, you know, I was okay at sports. I was okay at academics. Uh, I came into your program from Western. I had actually gone to York for, for a semester first, so I kind of backdoored into Western. Um, and so I, I don't know if it was my frustration was just sort of reaching around almost like a, a blind person to find something that Hey, this this can truly define myself and and, and make me successful, uh, um, you know. But but certainly when when your opportunity came along, you know, it it was the right moment for me to sort of you know break out of the gate and and, and do something where you know I put myself out there and maybe I hadn't really had the opportunity to do that before, or um, you know I hadn't pushed myself before. Right, right. Well, and, and certainly I know one of the amazing things that we had at that time was just an incredible group of of young leaders, like just yeah, unbelievable. And and so so and I think that's something we always have. But at that time, it was it was incredible. But but that's something, you know, going and working with people who are excelling at an incredibly high level is, is inspiring, you know, always has been for me, you know, uh, you know, I used to be an elite swimmer. I swam with world record holders. I was lost to them. I was quite, you know, but, it, but it was amazing trying to achieve at their level. I, I, again, through this program, I know so, so many people have been unbelievably successful. I find it inspiring. And again, I find it very interesting about what they're doing and, and trying to take what they're doing and put it into my life. So, so, you know, was, was that something that works, worked for you, Joe? And, 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 yeah, and you it know, still works. I don't know how many, <laughs> how many years later now it's, you know, maybe 30 plus years later, I still have those relationships and I still have, I mean, those guys, I mean, just like your swimmer friends, they yeah. push me through my entire career because that's, that's your peer group. You know, yeah. it's not so much, it's not comparing, but it's just, it's just observing what's possible. You know, I mean, it's interesting, you know, you talk about swimming and I play a lot of high level squash where I've worked myself up from, you know, over the past seven years, you know, as an older person, double squash from being, you know, at the very bottom to now some of the pros let me play in games with them. And, you know, you see, okay, what's what's possible, but by having exposure to those people, it's allowed me to grow as a player and the same thing with the peer group I had and I did very well in your program, but the next yes. guy, the top guy, like I was probably in the top five people, I think, you know, maybe, yeah. but then yeah. <laughs> the top guy I think did, who's still a very, very, very close friend of mine, doubled my revenue. Right. I mean, and he did things that I, I just, where did you think of that? You know, you know, he would like, you know, sleep at odd hours, like sleep in the afternoon. He would move his painting crews and stuff like that. But just having exposure to that is essentially, you know, use a cliche of being in big leagues was something yeah. that was that was transformational. Um, and, you know what? I'm not sure you still do it, but I remember what you guys did is you would have everyone come into the office. I think it was either on Thursday or Friday. You know, and everyone, it was, it was almost like, hey, you were getting your exam results or you were getting your meet results because you were comparing yourself to all the other men and women that you were working for. And, you know, I would come out of that so charged and so competitive 
you know, it was just, again, it was just another thing that, that was eat to the network that, that pushed you and motivated you. And yeah, it almost felt, you know, and I still feel it to this day. I mean, the simple act of running your own business, albeit with a support network, it makes you feel like you can do anything. You know, I, I still, you know, and I've worked, I've worked for Goldman Sachs and, you know, I would sit there and I'm like, you know, I could recreate Goldman Sachs. Like I could do it with myself. You know, even though I, I can't, you know, and even, you know, now I'm working, doing stuff in, in the uh, healthcare business in the U.S. And I'm like, you know what? I can fix the entire U.S. healthcare system. I can do it. You know, these people on TV, I've got, the, you know, but, but that's, that, this experience really is the fundamental or the foundation that can give you, you know, that sort of self-belief in yourself, which I think is essential, you know essential point of confidence. And, yeah. and, you know, I think about it often because, you know, when I, I, and I've taken a lot of risks in my career, some worked out, some that hasn't, but, you know, I always had it in my mind, look, if something happens, I can always go run a painting business. I could go run my own painting business. I know how to paint. I know how to estimate. I know how to hire. I know what yeah. to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, and it's funny that you say that, Joe. So many of our alumni, it's like I, I, I'll hear that. It's like, hey, I know I'm okay. I know I can. I, I know I can make a you know a good living doing that. And again, not that that many of our people do that. Although there are some people who who do that and do it very well. But it's like I know I can just go run a, run that type of a, a simple business just because I know how to again sell, market, execute, manage, lead people. So I think back to the training that we got um, specifically the sales training. And I, I remember this moment where there were, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 or 70, a large number of people were in a big conference room. And one of, again, early members of the leadership, Neil, I forget his last name, Neil Bradley. Yes. Neil Bradley was a sales trainer at Xerox. And very well dressed, very charismatic, very upbeat guy, you know, gifted salesperson. He, he asked the crowd, you know, how many people want to be in sales as their career? How many, how many of you want to be salesmen? And in the entire audience, I think maybe one or two people of 70, you know, put up their hands. And then we went through the sales training process, which I think was cribbed from Xerox. And, you know, people today would remember Xerox, but, you know, 30 years ago, Xerox, you know, was like Microsoft or Google. Um, and at the end, everyone put up their hands. So yeah. that sales training, and we still, you know, my, my other manager friends who became absolutely my closest friends, you know, we still joke about, you know, what we learned and how we sold people, et cetera. You know, you still <laughs> rely on that. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I pride myself on it as being a lifelong learner as well. And, and one of the things that's interesting, I notice about your signature block is, as you say, you have coach on your signature block. And one of the things that benefited me that I, I actually learned because I think it was the first time I was given the opportunity to have it elite coaching, which is really what you guys offer. You combine lifelong learning with coaching. That I think is very, very, very important. Just that whole self-awareness that it's helpful in life to have a coach, particularly if you want to be a lifelong learner. So even to this day, I take lessons on certain, whether it's golf lessons or squash lessons or have open discussions with other business people because I want to know what my blind spots are. You know, I want to know where am I making mistakes that I just don't see. And so many people are not willing to do that. But yeah. can someone, someone who's honestly like, no, you think you're doing that. You're not. That helps you. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things, the important sort of, you know, I, I would say, um, skills that I learned in terms of self-improvement from that program. Um, the other thing that I still use is a network. So again, some of my closest friends, um, 
uh, you know, we've talked about it. It's just, it was some sort of historical accident that, you know, a group of us who came from the same school, were in the same fraternity, uh, um, worked for student works, who became like insanely successful. I mean, it was just a, a rare time. And I rely on that network both in, in, in business, certainly, but also just, just in life in terms of, you know, having a peer group. Again, like having that, that group of elite swimmers that, that we're still swimming with, um, you know, certainly that was derived in, in a value. And, and 30 years later, you know, I, I will still be talking to these guys all the time, all the time. Um, you know, so there's three pretty significant things that, that I still use from the program. Amazingly. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And uh, I can't you know, the, the one piece that just to sort of reiterate again for our young leaders, Joe, is is the whole thing that, you know, here's this massively successful leader and he's constantly looking where are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? You know, you know, not defensively looking to see where he's not doesn't have all the pieces going out for coaching. I feel exactly I do the same thing. And you're right. I think it's in this program. I got that sense. OK, hey, let's align with other great people. Let's try to bring these amazing people who are who are, again, smarter than me. That's my sense always is is, is that I, I know a lot of people smarter than me and then have them. Um, input wisdom or, 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 or help, you know, be, be someone who, who's willing to be helped. And that humility is so key. Yeah. Humility and sort of self-awareness and, you know, willingness to make mistakes, willingness to change course. You know, so many people get locked into something where, no, I've made the decision and they, they can't admit that they were wrong, or they can't, admit they have a blind spot. And, and it, it just so many things go wrong if you don't have the ability to say, yeah, I was 100% right then. But you know what? I look back, I was 100% wrong. And you're right. I am doing that. And I'm going to fix yeah. that. And that doesn't make me, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to grow. And, yeah. you know, just uh, it's interesting. I had dinner last week with um, a couple and, and the woman was extraordinarily successful in the, in the music business. And she was someone who, similar to me, in that she was a bit of an underachiever in high school, and she sung her way into this elite school you know, in the U.S., and that got her into the music industry. But when she was at the school, they had to work at a record company. And when she was at the record company, her job was to answer phones. And she went to the head of the A&R department. And for a year and a half, she told me she bugged him and said, let me answer your phone. Let me answer your phone. Let me answer your phone. Finally, he let her and she became the youngest A&R person at this record company. And then from there, her career just took off. And it very much reminded me of when I was at, at Student Works. And again, going back to that moment where I had yeah. 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, it's just, it's, it's just, you, 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 you gain an action orientation, right? Like that, you know, there's no way you get the success level that you get um, without just a huge action orientation. So it's like, Oh, we got to go close this. We got to go get this happening. We got to go get that happening. Let's get into action. So, so, you know, why don't you share, share about your career progress? Oh, student student works. Um, you know, so I I did student works. I, w I was at Western. I did student works for two summers. I made enough money to start a little uh, student housing business, um, which I which I built up. Um, I I graduated from Western again. Um, I then did a business degree and then returned to Western to do a law degree. Um, and while I was in law school, I was living with actually another student works manager, literally one of my closest friends. Um, and um, I was in law school. He was in an MBA school. And, you know, that summer he had a job in finance in Toronto. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And 
I was home probably taking a nap in the afternoon and the phone rings and um, person in the line says, you know, is Garth, who's my roommate there? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, who's this? And I said, oh, it's Joe, his roommate. And the guy says, oh, yeah. Uh, what are you doing this summer? And I said, well, you know, I've got a number of opportunities, completely BSing, um, but I haven't decided on anything. He said, okay, well, um, you know, what do you think about working here? And he just literally was like in the first two minutes phone conversation and it, it happened to be the guy in Toronto that the head of the firm in Toronto that, that my roommate Garth was for. and I said well yes I'd be very interested let me talk to Garth to make sure that it'd be okay and I talked to Garth he said that would be fine and that's how I got hired into finance like literally that one phone call changed my life wow. I wouldn't have, it's almost like being in the club you know once you're in you're in um, and so I worked with them for two summers. I remained close to them again some 30 years later. And then right. I graduated from law school at Western. I did very well and took all the senior level finance courses and then interviewed with the MBAs and was one of, this is back in 94, very hard year, was one of the five students out of the MBA and the only student out of the law school that got a job in investment banking in New York. And then from there, I worked, um, the, the firm I started with was Smith Barney, it merged into Solomon Brothers. So we became Solomon Smith Barney, then we merged into Citigroup, we became City uh, Citigroup, and then a group of us moved over to, to Goldman Sachs. Um, I was pre-IPO at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I left there in 2002 and uh, went to work for a bank-owned hedge fund. Um, I was there for several years and was um, recruited uh, uh, to work at Brevin Howard, uh, which was at the time the largest hedge fund in Europe. From Brevin Howard, I was seated into my own hedge fund. And then since 2009, um, I've been essentially... Originally started as an investor and then moved on to being actively involved in management of a number of companies. So I've been, you know, at the founding stages of, of several emerging growth companies, two in the pharmaceutical company space, um, most recently a company called HLS Therapeutics, uh, which I was one of the four founders and board member. Uh, and we... Um, Took that company public. It's about a half a billion dollar market cap uh, in Canada. A very profitable business. And since then, what I'm doing now is I'm taking my pharmaceutical ex expertise and I'm working in the direct to consumer healthcare space, where we're essentially driven um, delivering prescription and over the counter products to. Um, people in the United States and different therapeutic areas. So it's combining commerce expertise, business expertise, and pharmaceutical industry expertise, and you know, have a series of brands in that business. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, so so one, one question I know, uh, there's always a group of our leaders who are interested in investment banking. So if you were to sort of, you know, say, you know, here's, you know, here's maybe how you could get in it, or here's, here's why people in your mind are successful in it. How would you answer that, Joe? And I know it's not an easy question. So investment banking has evolved slightly. So look, I think that if you want to be in finance, because you're interested in finance, and I always was, and if you're driven, and if you're intelligent, and if you have, I would say, a personality fit. There is a job in finance, so, so it's it's doable. Like I, I think of myself, and I talk to people, and they're like, "No, you're never going to get a job." Okay. No way. Think about something else. And whenever someone tells me something like that, I'm like, "You know, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> I actually can." Yeah. So there there are jobs out there. New York market is actually very large. It's larger than you think. Um, so it's possible. So what do you need to do? Doing something, a program like, you know, entrepreneurship program like Student Works, I think is important. But then you need to get a good 
education. So you need to get into a good school and program, you know, like the Western MBA program. It's harder from law today, uh, you know, a school in the U.S., but any good Canadian business school can set you up. You need to do well. You need to get good grades there, you know, so you're, you're competitive. Uh, right. And then you need to network. So you need to somehow get in the club, do whatever, you know, you could go empty the trash bins at RBC or CIBC or whatever, just to get that brand on your resume, just somehow find a way to get in, in the door. I got in the door in part because I had student painter relationships who introduced me to people, you know, who were, you know, making the hiring decisions and referred me and that, that helped me. So again, student, student works helped me in that. And then, you know, one of the things that I've done in, in my career is, is I've identified, I've identified a person or a lifestyle or, you know, an economic situation that I want to emulate. Um, and so when I was a young person, I wasn't thinking about moving to New York and then a relationship, you know, who's a few years ahead of me did. And, you know, I was able to spend time with that person and understand, okay, what's your lifestyle like? What kind of money you're making? Cross uh, about it. What do you do? Um, and so I was able to really spend a lot of time, you know, what did your resume look like? Sort of not... I would say emulating and, and getting myself, you know, those skills so that I would be good. So, so just to summarize, you need good grades. You need to be in a good program. It is possible and doable. Um, my route was, was circuitous, which proves that circuitous routes can happen. New York is possible. You know, New York is a place that since the 16th century has welcomed people from all over the world where people don't really like people. It's very rare to have someone who grows up in New York, people from all over the world. And when you get here, they're like, okay, I don't care where you came from or what you look like. Yeah. You have a third arm. We don't care. What can you do for me? Got an extra arm so you can do this. Great. <laughs> we'll hire you. You know, it's just a funny, funny, funny place and a, and a great yeah. opportunity. A lot of people, you know, I think that, they think about investment banking for the wrong reasons. And it is, it is a grind. It is long hours. It's, it's not as bad as corporate law, but it is something where, you know, you know, the first five years of my career disappeared pretty quickly in that, you know, I was pulling all nighters. I was traveling. I wasn't home. I remember a moment five years into my career where I came out of the subway at six o'clock and all these people around on the street. I'm like, where do these people come from? And then I realized, well, these are people who have normal lives that aren't working <laughs> 11 o'clock every night. Cause I would come home and no one would be on the street. So yeah. it is that what I liked about it was it really gave me an opportunity to learn again, trying to be a lifelong learner to understand different business models, to meet different management teams, um, and just to develop as a professional. Investment banking, you're doing analysis, coming up with ideas, but the, at the end of the day, your job as an investment banker, it's, it's, it's a fee-for-service type business, so you're, you're selling again, and the student painters, student works, you know, selling techniques to help with that. Um, so... You know, I think it's 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 a great, you know, first transition into a career. And, you know, I have I was with someone, another student works manager. He was at my house, spent the weekend with us. You know, he's been an investment banker for 27 years. His job before that was you know, a summer job at student works. Right. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's awesome. And, and I see all the, all the linkages. And, and one of the things I, I really want to highlight is, um, is behind all of this is just an incredible commitment and hard work, right? Like that's, you know, and, and, and I want to make sure that that's, you know, when you're looking to achieve at the highest level, that has to also link with, I'm willing to do the work at the highest level. And clearly, that's what that's what you for do. Some, that's what, yeah, for some investment banking groups, Sunday is a regular day. You know, the week yes. starts Sunday afternoon at three o'clock. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And again, it's, it, yeah, a bunch of people don't want to sign up for that. And obviously that makes sense, right? Like it, people get to choose their life. People get to choose their life. And, and I think the difference, like for me, you know, and, and student works really proved this out to me, but for me, the difference, differentiator between a median or just an average student worker or below average manager is the person who's willing to just dig in and do whatever it takes and, and to push themselves in and make that extra call or put in that extra time. We're sitting around in the evening watching TV with the buddies. They're like, no, 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 I got, I got stuff to do. This is like, I'm going to make this work. And it's the same thing. It's, it's taking that and then applying that to academics, which I had never done before. But I was like, no, I got to push myself because I want to be in New York. And to do that, I need to get these grades, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're an average student, how do you do it? Okay, well, you work harder. You just outwork everybody yeah. and grind it out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank, thanks for sharing all that, Joe. It really makes a huge difference, um, I, I, I believe. And, and so, you know, like you're really, though, as we talked about it, at the core of it, really, you know, yes, you're an investment. You've been an investment banker and had a successful investment banker, but really an entrepreneur. And so what were the what were the, the signs of that running a business was the right thing for you? I mean, maybe not. <laughs> Not being employable, maybe. Otherwise, um, <laughs> so having to do it to survive. Uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Not that that's that's necessary. I don't. I don't think it is. Um, but my 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 mother and father were entrepreneurs. My mother's eighty six. She still runs her own business. Her mother was an entrepreneur. You know, my, my father's. You know, my father grew up. I mean, this is. I mean, I'm I'm fifty one. Um, you know, my father grew up in Ontario truly as a hunter-gatherer. I mean, if you, if you think about, you know, how, how society has evolved sort of in the last hundred years or so. Um, so I think when you think entrepreneur, how do you know and why should you think about this? So I look at, so I guess I'm, I graduated in 1995. How many years? years however the math works. I've had and worked at, I don't know, north of 10 different companies. And, or, or, and if you include the number that I've created. And, and the reason I mention that is I think that the nature of work is changing. I think that people's longevity is changing. And even when you're in a big company, if, if you decide that that's the right fit, Thinking as an entrepreneur is is very important. Why? Because it's so cliche to say, but the world, given technology, is is evolving so rapidly. Firms either you know get consolidated into other firms, or you know the opportunity set changes, and you have to evolve. So I, I think I define entrepreneur as someone who's able to drive themselves to make money. And either make money within an organization. Where's the money? How do I make money? How do I how do I run a profitable business, even if I'm working within a broader organization? And how do you know? I think some of it is is innate because you you have to be able to. As my boss would say to me, "Where's the money? Where's the money? Go find the money. Where is it?" It's like finding the jobs. Like one of the things I figured out as student painters is, okay, what job should I go out? Where's the money? Oh, look at that yes. big apartment building over there, right? Or, you know, look at that big house over there. That's where yes. I should focus. So yeah. I, I think that's all part of entrepreneurship. Um, and again, the benefit of doing something as an entrepreneur, having the system set up, having something proven. So one of the things that, that I've defaulted to in my entrepreneurial life is finding things that are proven that I could execute that, right? So not necessarily, and now I'm sort of in more of the idea phase, but I can, I can do that because I've evolved to that point. But what's proven? What can I execute better? Can I outwork this person? What can I bring better? What, can I bring, what are they doing that's stupid? Um, 
So all of that is part of an entrepreneur. And I think it applies whether you're running your own business or whether you're running your own organization. And it's stuff that in part is, is innate, knowing that you want a certain level of success, knowing you want an opportunity to be a leader, um, knowing that you, know, you are open to being coached, um, that you're flexible, that you're adaptable, that you're driven, that you're hardworking. Those to me are all the characteristics of an entrepreneur. And I, I don't think it's dependent on whether you're part of an organization or absolutely off on your own. Awesome. Awesome. And, and so, so Joe, um, you know, obviously part of being an entrepreneur, part of, part of, uh, you know, being in business is, is failures and setbacks and mistakes, you know, what have you been, you know, some of those and what did you learn from them? Okay. So this is a very interesting topic that I think about all the time. I think about mistakes. I think about, um, what you have to do, you know, to get to the next level. And, People think about mistakes, but there are two components. There are mistakes and there are successes, okay? And it's important, I think, and not, not to be too preachy about this, to focus on both. And what brought this home to me is I, I had an opportunity to get some exposure to uh, someone who was the number one squash player in the world. And I asked him, okay, you were like number three in the world. How did you get to number one? And what he told me was he got injured. And so he had to take nine months off. And during that nine month period, he realized that of the four or five skills, you need to be a successful um, squash player at a professional level. He was, you know, very good at one and an average at the other four. And so he, he realized that if he worked with a coach and he focused on making that thing that he was number one in even better and then developing all of the other sort of skill sets so that one other emerged, that's what would get him to number one. So certainly you want to focus on mistakes and you want to do postmortems and you want to figure out, okay, where was my blind spot? What did I do wrong in the situation? What did I do right in the situation? But something random didn't go well for me. But also, what am I good at so that I can build on those strengths as well? So I've had, you know, I've had so many failures. I've, I've made so many mistakes. I look at my decisions and I try to figure out, okay, so of every decision you make, you know, what, what percentage is right versus wrong? I, I did run a trading business for a period of time where we actually statistically tracked it. You tracked what the other traders did, what I did. So you very much a self-awareness around, okay, I'm right this percentage of the time. How do you end up making money? What are the other factors that do it? But I'm not afraid to make a mistake. I'm not afraid to put the risk on. I'm not afraid to go do it. You know, what's going to happen? I can go back and paint, right? I, I mean, I have that safety net. Yeah. So, I'm not sure I'm answering your question or, or getting, but again, this is like, I could, you know, we could talk on this particular issue for a couple of hours. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great, Joe. Like, I think, I think the, the, like one of the things for our leaders to hear is, is that Joe's made all sorts of mistakes. Like that's one of the things is when you're really, really massively successful, you're going to have made so many mistakes. So Joe is now just rationally looking at the mistakes he's made and, how do I figure out again what my blind spots are? It's just seeing it very rationally. Like it's there's no attachment to I made this mistake. Oh, I'm such a loser. Oh gosh, like that's that's a typical person. Joe is is oh wow, I'm I'm, I'm so bad because I made that mistake. No, I'm going to make mistakes. I've made hundreds or thousands of mistakes. You know, at the level again, especially at just all the investments you've made, all the decisions you've made, and then okay, what do I? Uh, what do I take from that? And then how do I, how do I make more winning, winning decisions? Right. And okay. So there's like, there's a lot of content on this particular point. So if someone is listening to the podcast and they want to read more on mistakes, I would suggest Ray Dalio, uh, who's the founder of, you know, one of the most successful hedge funds in the world. And he talks about mistakeology and has a ton of content on, on that. 
he has a content, you know, that people are afraid to make mistakes in their whole culture is you can't be afraid to make mistakes and you can't have, um, you can't be afraid to someone to essentially coach you and point out what you're doing wrong. And so many people are like that and it's not a fit. Yeah. The other thing is that understanding your propensity, we all have certain traits and propensities to do certain. And, and it, it, in, in business, it happens to me all the time, particularly when we're cutting deals. And I say to people, look, I make the same mistake all the time. I will say that when we're negotiating. I've done it six times. A deal with this structure never works out, even though this is the easy way to structure it. I'm just not doing it because it's a waste of time. Now, how do I know that? Because I made the mistake 10 times. I know it. And I know that that's where I want to go, right? You know, it's like, you know, it's the same thing in golf. You know, there's certain things I do in golf that I have to stop myself, right? And, and you know, again, I, I was on the squash court yesterday with a coach that I work with, top 10 player in the world. And he's like, the interesting thing about you is I can point out a mistake you're making and you can actually fix it. So most guys can't fix it, but I'll tell yes. you and then you fix it. I'm like, yeah, but I, I know I like, I have these innate things where I go out and the first thing I do before someone corrects me is I make that mistake. I know it. I just, yeah. I can't see it myself. So yeah. understanding what are my traits? Where do I make the mistake? Etc. And, you know, my daughter who's at boarding school texts me, you know, can you come up and take me to dinner? And it's exam week. I'm like, well, I can't because I'm traveling, but what's up? Why are you asking me to take you to dinner? She said, well, I bombed my physics exam. And so we workshop that. Okay, so what do you do? So what did you learn? Okay, the physics exam is done, right? So what can we take from that so that you do better on your math exam? And she's yeah. like, yeah, you're right. Don't focus on the past. Let's just focus on what's in front of us. So. Again, this is like, the funny thing is, you know, you look at yourself at 18 and 19 and you, you think you know everything. And I was saying to someone the other day, you know, why are all soldiers, you know, why are all soldiers young, right? Yeah. Because grown adults are not doing that, right? They don't have the judgment. <laughs> Kids don't yeah. have the judgment. That's why they're willing to, you know, go to war. I mean, forget everything else. It's the same thing. The opportunity you have as a young person is to throw caution to the wind. What's your risk? You have lots of time. You can go run your own business, right? Yeah. So many people who are older can't make that step. They're afraid to make a mistake. They're afraid of not having a security net. You know, they don't have the self-awareness, et cetera. But, you know, being willing to make a mistake, being willing to put the risk on, being a lifelong learner, that's... I mean, being curious, those are what makes a difference, I think. Yeah, no, I, I so I so agree. I, I, I clearly I can see we have share so many values, uh, you know, Joe. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's also interesting how you're drawing so much from, you know, your athletic world, because the lessons are so similar in terms of athletes. And I used to play a lot of squash before I moved rurally and I loved it. And, and again, it's, that was one coaching I had as well from, from, you know, trainers and coaches is, wow, you change when I tell you this and I've, you know, I go, of course, like that's what you need to do. And again, not hold on to what's older. It's like, keep moving, keep learning, keep, you know, and, and there's this a period of in athletics, but also in business is being okay with being uncomfortable. I'm trying something new today. I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm not as good as what I used to do, but I know if I do, if I go backwards here, then I'll go forwards. And that's the same thing. We have our, our young leaders, you know, about teaching sales. And I know you're going to be uncomfortable with this and try it and try it and try it. And all of a sudden they're at a whole other level. It, it works like that in sales and business everywhere in your life. Right. You know, I, I'm just, just to sort of expand on that point a little bit. I, you know, one of there's, there's a guy that, you know, I've done business with here in New York, who's 10 years younger than me, very successful at a young age, very athletic guy. He's comfortable sitting in a meeting and saying, look, can, I'm not very smart. Can you explain that to me again? And, you know, 
I, I steal that line from him and, and I tell people you should l- use that line because it's very disarming to be that vulnerable and, and self-deprecate. And, and so yes. many people say, I could never say that, you know, yeah. but you know, it's to say that, you know, and, and to be uncomfortable or to put yourself out there, you know, is such a, to me, such a sign of confidence and security, you know, that yeah. you're willing to learn, Hey, what can you teach me? Yes. Yeah. It's very powerful, right? Just that authenticity. And, and I think there's also a real, you know, I know people, I think there's a yearning to be the smartest person in the room. And for me, you know, I, I, there's, you know, the only time I'm the smartest person is when I'm the only person in the room. That's kind of my story. But it's like, it's like, no, that's not what we want to yearn for. We want to yearn for be the biggest sponge in the room. Oh, what can I get from this person? What do they have? What, what don't I see? You know, and, and I think that's the, way the, the biggest takeaways I had from, from working at Goldman Sachs for whatever it was, five years or so. Um, and you can find it online. There's, there's something that was done by one of the former uh, senior partners, John Whitehead, which were the top 10 commandments of IBS, which the IBS team were the elite sort of super relationship, super sales, you know, the top of the top investment bankers. And so this was his top 10 commandments of IBS. And number one was you never learn anything when you're talking. <laughs> Just to that point. And that's someone who loves I, I have to talk things out all the time. So I do learn something when I'm talking. But you know, the point was, you know, to yeah. plunge and, and, and to learn. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So uh if, if someone wanted to do what you did, what key habits would they steal from you, Joe? What's the secret to your success? I think, I think number one is, is grit and just making it happen. Number two is, you know, I actually did a law degree, which taught me more than anything how to research. But I do spend a lot of time researching and thinking and and in studying so having you know the ability to go out and acquire knowledge and and the desire to be a lifelong learner like i i play a lot of golf with a very senior private equity guy you know he's just only taught and this is a guy who came from nothing you know pretty much as well he's like no we're looking for like you know lifelong learners and just being being curious like i want to learn about this you know, I think if you want to learn and you want to understand, that's that's going to drive you. It certainly what drives me. Uh, you know, number three is not being not being afraid of change. So not being afraid to be uncomfortable, not being afraid to, to put the risk on. As I say, it's, I don't know if that's a cliche or not. But, you know, when I was working in a hedge fund, I would always be like, my boss, let me put the risk on and then I'll fix it. You know, before you have revenues, you're not in business. You're just, you're just not. It's, it's a theory. Um, and so you have to have the ability to, again, to your point, to be action-oriented. Let me put the risk on. Let me get the revenues. Let me make the sale. Let me do something. Um, I think that a lot, of, um, a lot of being successful is your ability to deal with, with people, to, to sell, to be able to form relationships. You know, people say about me, I have a lot of close friends, um, a lot of them that I've had for a long time. Um, but, you know, if someone's going through something, you know, a hard time, just because I've been so good through hard times, I will go out of my way to try and be there for them, you know, regardless. Um, you know, because I mean, I have no agenda, but people always come back. Um, another thing, yeah, there's a great book, um, uh, "Make Make Your Bed" by General McRaven, who um, was the commander of um, the Navy SEALs and and the guy who commanded the raid on, on Osama bin Laden. And he talks about his best-selling book, "Make Your Bed." And, and he has, there's, there's a speech on YouTube, but he's, you know, he said, look, it, 
you start the day again to be action oriented with an accomplishment, right? Yeah. And, and then he goes through a, a whole thing and he said, look, if your whole day is awful, at least you have a made bed, right? So at least you have that safety net to come home to, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so I think that that, you know, being nothing is it's just, it's just take action and, and do something, which, which you know, I've certainly done, you know, through, throughout my life. Um, I don't know. Well, those are some of the stuff that I think about. No, that's, I love, I love the, the make your bed. I know a number of years ago I took that on and I, I make, I make, you know, our bed every morning. And again, it's just like, okay, start with integrity, make the bed empty the dishwasher, make the coffee. Like, it's just, it's just like, okay, like things work here. This is, the, you know, like, let's just, you know, do what you need to do, you know? And, and there just is something to just the simple things, right? Like, and, and, uh, um, and then you build from there, right? Like you hit the snooze button, you know, yeah. when you wake up. No. <laughs> so like, let's, let's just, let's just get on with it. So, um, so Joe, one final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? When I think of a leader tomorrow, meaning leader of tomorrow, the, a leader, think of a leader of tomorrow, because that's the theme of our podcast, leaders of tomorrow. Oh, my gosh, that's a hard question. So, I mean, look, I think of someone who is well, someone who's driven, someone who's adaptable, someone who knows how to identify, okay, where's the money or where's the opportunity or, you know, where's something going? Uh, someone who has the ability to, you know, engender trust and, you know, get people essentially to work with them or follow them. Um, I, th I don't think of myself as a natural leader whatsoever. Um, I, I have people who are absolutely natural leaders behind me, but I think it's someone who who has, you know, continued to develop their skills, either through its, you know, work on their own or through working with other peers or through coaches to, um, to develop as a leader, um, you know, and, and someone who really wants to, you know, do something with their life and, and make a success of, of their life. And, and, you know, those foundations are, really created at, at sort of the age of, you know, people that are listening to this podcast and who are targeting working, working with you. Um, so those would be some of the characteristics. I would think. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Joe, again, I'm so appreciative, you know, um, about, about you, uh, you know, you, tuning back in and sharing, sharing your wisdom and, uh, uh, and sharing what you're up to uh, with, with our young leaders. Um, uh, thank, thanks, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll tune back in and uh, have, a, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Chris. Hey, leaders, we have more great content for you coming up that I know you will love. So if you are listening and you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. And if you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed. Better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering key habits and insights that can assist them in having super powerful careers.